It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake. He's James. We're joined today by Mike Santagata, our weekly film review guest who talks about some of the film takeaways that he sees when he watches the All-22. Obviously, the score of the Chargers-Bengals game looked very lopsided. Didn't necessarily mean the game was super lopsided as the turnovers the Bengals had were just incredibly damaging. And so we're not going to focus so much on those things, but instead at what lessons we can take away from the tape. And I think one question that's burning in my mind, burning in James's mind, burning in the mind of many Bengals fans is how did the Bengals adapt to losing another linebacker? Akeem Davis Gaither has been gone for a couple of weeks now. Now Logan Wilson, there, there's some fear that he's out longer than just a couple of weeks, which was, which was the initial hope from Zach Taylor. I would be surprised at this point from reports we've seen that he'll be back this regular season. So if the Bengals make the playoffs, maybe there's some hope there, or maybe you, the listener, want me to say when the Bengals make me make the playoffs, there's some hope there. But (laughs) uh, I think that Logan Wilson probably not back this regular season. So that means the Bengals probably should be trying out some linebackers. They didn't try out any linebackers on Tuesday, according to the league transaction wire, but there might be an acquisition to come. And it also means Joe Batchy is the next man up. So this is going to stress special teams, which is probably an an underrated storyline. We saw how some special team absences added up. Could mean more time for Marcus Bailey as he's recovering from a stinger. But Joe Batch is the one that was on the field a lot against the Chargers, and he acquitted himself pretty well. And Jermaine Pratt may have had his best game in the NFL, forcing a fumble, being very active in the run game, et cetera, et cetera, being generally a good linebacker. So we're going to talk with Mike about what the linebackers did and and how things might have changed after Logan Wilson went out. Mike, what what are the first things whoa, that whoa, whoa, stood hold up? Hold on, hold on. No, don't ask Mike. If you're watching on YouTube, by the way, you can't see Mike, uh, but it's okay because I'm going to do the All-22 review on the board here with my trusty notepad. So uh, we're good to go, but you will hear the voice uh, of Mr. Mike. So, all right, Jake, go ahead. I just wanted to give our, our watchers an idea of where Mike was. Mike is, is on the Locked On Bengals hotline. It isn't sponsored yet, but it can be. Tweet me. My DMs are open. So Mike on the Locked On Bengals hotline. Uh, Jake, go ahead. James, it sounds like you're ready to take over. Why don't you go ahead and ask your first question about linebackers to Mike? It's All right, fine. Logan Wilson's out, Mike. How the hell are the Bengals going to uh, keep up the, the way they've played defensively, specifically in the front seven? without a guy like Logan Wilson, especially when, like Jake mentioned, it's Joe ba- uh, Bechi and, uh, and Marcus Bailey, essentially, that are going to fill in those shoes. You know, they kind of took Bechi 
Spacey? I don't know. <laughs> but they kind of took him and they just threw him right into Logan Wilson's spot. The main thing I think of when I say that is that they still played that uh, five-man surface, six-man surface with Jermaine Pratt as an edge defender. And they kept Batchy as the one off-ball linebacker. And that's the that's the play that made me go, oh, okay. So he's just, he's just plug and play for Logan Wilson. I thought he did fine. I thought for the most part, everything was fine. I don't think he'll be as uh, – the thing that Logan Wilson does to me at like an elite level is when he zone drops and spot drops, he melts with the quarterback's eyes really well, knows when he's going to throw, and he's got really good hands. Because um, I think Akeem Davis Gaither does that well too, but he's dropped – I don't know, 12 interceptions, it feels like. Uh, but Logan Wilson catches like all those. So that's the one thing that will be missing a little bit is creating turnovers. That was the big, big thing with Logan Wilson. But in the front seven specifically, um, like run defense, linebacker's job in the Bengals' defense isn't super difficult because they have DJ Reader eating two blocks nearly every – or at least two gapping nearly every single play uh, or one and a half gap, whatever it is. So when, when you've got a guy like DJ Reader and BJ Hill does a good job of this too, and um, Sam Hubbard is a really strong edge defender, when you have all that in front of you and you can play clean and just kind of track the near hip of the ball carrier, make the tackle, it makes your job a lot easier as a linebacker. What do you think the Bengals' plan is when they might need three linebackers on the field? Take the upcoming opponent, the San Francisco 49ers, for example. Something we might talk about a little bit later in the show, by the way, spoiler alert is how the San Francisco 49ers are going to challenge the Bengals in the run game. The Bengals typically will answer this with with five defensive linemen. Is that the fair expectation at this point would you say is there any chance that you know that missing a linebacker in this sense is going to hurt them if they if they don't feel like they can go three linebackers? Ah uh, yeah, it's interesting because um the, the the problem that San Francisco also presents is if you wanted to go four down three backers or something, whoever the Sam over George Kittle is has to both be able to drop and stay with him and also not get blown up in the run game. Because my first instinct is, well, if they want to go like in a four, three, like they do against the Ravens, like bring down Von Bell. But um, I'm not sure if George Kittle gets his hands on Von Bell, <laughs> it might be on Twitter uh, because that's a guy that's like 200 pounds. And Kittle can put a highlight tape on Von Miller. So um, in the in blocking, I'm talking about. Uh, so that's the issue. I think they'll go five down, bare front type stuff uh, with two off ball linebackers. And really, I do think they're just going to put Batchy right in Logan Wilson's spot. And he clearly knows it from this week. Uh, didn't really look like he was super out of place or anything. He's a high effort guy. Where even where he made a mistake, he pursue and run the guy down so really i i'm not super concerned about it because i i just think i think joe bashi was a pretty decent player and the Bengals' scheme for the run defense isn't overly taxing on the linebackers mike when wilson went down and i know one of your tweets went viral about jermaine pratt but does pratt's responsibility change at all and obviously he'll be uh, probably wearing the green dot this week. Do you expect that to, uh, I don't, at least film-wise, do you expect him to to continue to thrive in his role even though Logan Wilson isn't in there? I do because I think a lot of what they do isn't going to change for him. I mean, he's going to be the green dot now, so he's going to communicate more. Um, 
you still see it's not like the guy with the green dots the only guy that communicates uh <laughs> yeah i've seen pratt will move uh defensive linemen they're like hey we're in this front but like the thing they're in right now whatever it's it's they've got two tight ends over here and we need you over here like i know what the call was but we need to move you and things like that or i've got a feeling it's coming this way or something i don't know uh, <laughs> but yeah as a green dot now he's gonna have to communicate more but on film they like him to play the weak hook in especially in cover three because that's the guy who will run with the wide receiver if he runs an over route and he's done an exceptional job at that so far this season um and then when it comes to man coverage stuff they they he's well it's either a funnel or they'll put him on the running back and let wilson like i said drop zone drop what's what he does best in my opinion and try to get into passing windows so i think this place is pratt's strength to run with guys things like that uh playing the will linebacker and even in a four two um and batchy gets not the easier role but he doesn't have to communicate as much he's going to be told basically what to do and um if you think of the difference between zone dropping and getting interceptions and what you lose there you lose the turnovers but you're not going to give up a ton of big plays playing the middle low hook low the rat, whatever you want to call that, you're not going to give up a ton of big plays there. Um, but you could give up a ton of big plays if you tried to switch that and let Batchy try to run with wide receivers or cover the running back one-on-one out of the backfield type thing. So I think it helps him to be able to just play Wilson's spot, and uh, it helps Pratt to stay where he is. We'll see how these linebackers are deployed. If Marcus Bailey can get healthy coming off the stinger, if he takes snaps after Batchy played pretty well against the 49ers and just those unique struggles that the 49ers or, or challenges that the 49ers present in the form of Trent Williams. And it sounds like it might be Jamichael Hasty, Debo Samuel may or may not play. So George Kittle, you, you mentioned him, certainly a challenge. So some things that we'll be watching and we'll talk more about when we talk about the San Francisco 49ers offense later. But next, Joe Burrow. Are things all right? He, he played really well, but are there some cracks starting to show with Burrow when he's under pressure? We'll go there coming up next. Super Bowl 56 at SoFi is less than 100 days away and on location. The official hospitality partner of the NFL is the only place to score a once in a lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package. Select your exact seats. Choose from elite experiences featuring an exclusive pregame celebration with NFL legends, five-star hotels in Los Angeles, and food by the great Wolfgang Puck. Visit on location, exp.com slash SB56 for more information or search Super Bowl on location. That's on location, exp.com slash SB56 or search Super Bowl on location. This episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast is also brought to you by betonline.ag, our favorite place for all of our sports betting action and the best place to get all of the props, odds, and lines, real-time updated odds, more than they've ever had before as the football season continues its march to the playoffs and the NBA gets toward the real meat of the season. They've also, of course, got bets and props available for you for the NHL, for boxing, for UFC. So don't wait to take advantage of all their amazing offers for the rest of 2021 for the 2022 calendar year coming up. They've got a 50% welcome bonus for you right now. Use promo code LOCKEDON when you sign up. Again, that's 50% 
of whatever your initial deposit is that you're going to get back as free money from betonline.ag to multiply as you see fit using one of their many props, odds, or lines. Go check them out at betonline.ag and get in on the action where BetOnline makes it faster and easier to bet on all your favorite sports. All right, James, we talked a little bit about a couple of the plays that really stood out from Joe Burrow yesterday that were really outstanding. And I thought, generally speaking, and we're going to put this caveat out there before people get mad at us for flaming Joe Burrow, he was really good. And I thought he had great accuracy despite the pinky injury, especially to the yeah. sideline, and was very consistent in this area. We, we talked about the sack he took, the strip sack early in the game. We talked about the, the interception in the end zone. And those were the plays that stood out to me the most, uh, you know, watching live, especially as, you know, these plays, I think Burrow has some culpability for, but Mike, when, when you watch a tape and, and you have your overall takeaways, you notice a couple other plays that, that may be hinting at some concern, but I guess before we do that, is there actual concern or is this potentially just, you know, isolated to a couple plays you noticed and, hasn't necessarily been a theme or are you starting to see some themes with Burrow? Uh, so it's going to start with, I mean, I'll preface all of this with, um, you could always just say, well, the pinky, you know, he couldn't get a grip on the ball. So he didn't feel like, because the one first play I'm going to talk about is there's a corner route to Tyler Boyd. He's running right out of safety. It's wide open. Even if he can't put everything on it, he can fit it in there and, Boyd's not in any danger of taking a big hit or anything like that. So Jonah Williams gets bull rushed a little bit. He's close to Joe Burrow's plant leg. That could be an issue. Um, but the thing is, he he's looking right at it and really chases open too on the little short in type route. And he doesn't throw either one of these. Instead, he kind of pumps. He's looking right at it. I think he knows it's there, but for some reason he's not comfortable throwing it, and whether that's the pinky or maybe it's because somebody's near his reconstructed knee or maybe it's because he's taken 12 hits or so at this point and he doesn't want to take another one, so he's going to – well, he ends up taking a sack on this play, but so he goes and looks for something else. But <clears throat> his reaction to the guy being close to him, yes, that's the exact play, James, if you're on YouTube. Uh, it's a turkey hand. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, it's a pinky injury. Pinky injury, <laughs> Sands. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's past the Thanksgiving season. So he uh, he doesn't throw the corner. He doesn't throw the short in. He instead he hit he uh, pump fakes because he sees it, but he just doesn't feel comfortable throwing it. Now one reaction there is to then turn. Let's look what's on the other side, or let's hit the check down. But instead he kind of starts taking off to his right. It's a clean pocket, especially if he just takes one step to his right and just gives Jonah a little bit more room to work. He takes all the way off to his right. He starts running left. He ends up getting sacked, and it was all on him, and that, that was frustrating to see. It's just when the protection holds up and there's two backup offensive linemen, you need your quarterback to stand in there and make some type of throw. And I know it's the other uh, the other plays that uh, – I'm thinking of not exactly the same. Um, so it does make me think like these could just be, he took a lot of hits. He's a little rattled from pressure, something like that. Or 
It could always be the pinky because I don't have any experience trying to throw a football with a dislocated pinky and what I can and can't do. Uh, another play, he, he, this isn't a big deal, missed T. Higgins on a go ball about by four or five yards too deep, and that could just be overcompensating for he can't grip the ball, so maybe threw extra mustard on it and then <laughs> ends up launching it a little bit too far. Wasn't it too dangerous because it just went out the back of the end zone, but that's another play that I noticed and went, uh, that wasn't a good play from him. And um, there's a two you said. And then something that Jake and I have talked about today was it seems like when he turns his back to the defense, he kind of takes at least one extra hitch when he's going through his reads. When he's in shotgun and he sees things in front of him and he never has to turn his back because the thing that could be causing this is he's not used to playing in this type of offense. You've seen the statistics on this stuff and he's not doing as well as you should when you do under center play action. And really he's going to have to get better at it in this offense, at least for this year. Um, But he kind of takes that extra hitch. And I think it's, he sees the defense well pre-snap knows what he's seeing there post-snap. He's not able to watch the safeties as they rotate. He's not able to look at the linebackers when they drop. He's not able to see if it was man or zone, anything like that. So he turns his back, fakes the handoff, turns his head back around, and it could just be too much going on in his mind where the read is reads for quarterbacks aren't as simple as, I'm going to look at this receiver, see if he's open. Okay, let's look over here. Is he open? Let me throw that because then you're going to throw the ball right at underneath linebackers or uh, robber safety or something like that. So. He has to turn around. He has to see how the safeties rotate. Is it man's own? Is whatever. All of that. And then he can get to his read. And it's a lot to process all at once. Whereas when he's in shotgun, he gets to see that develop. Yeah. And and that's understandable to me, right? He's a second-year quarterback. At the same time, I also think, like Jake prefaced it with, you know, we're not going at Burrow and we think he played really well. Well, guess what? The Bengals, I guarantee – and if you think we're being critical, I guarantee the Bengals and Burrow are looking at these plays and they're like, well, damn, like you left these plays out there and we didn't even talk about the interception. Uh, so let, let's talk about the pocket presence a little bit more, uh, because obviously that's something that was in one at one level week one when he's coming off that knee injury and I think has gotten better. But uh, you certainly see him running into pressure. There was the uh, the goal line one after the turnover. Uh, against the the Steelers that on their second possession, uh, I believe, if I, I remember that correctly. Uh, so we've seen that this year from him. Um, what's the has it has it been cut down? Because I think his pocket presence has gotten better. Has he gotten better at not running into pressure? Has it been a, a consistent theme, sort of like the interceptions, where it's just happened gradually throughout the season? Uh, when you watch the film, is there any anything like that? Is it a theme or is it not? It was much worse earlier in the season, and it was understandable that he's fresh off of the knee surgery the first few games back. He didn't feel comfortable. I didn't think he felt that comfortable staying up into the pocket and putting his knee in danger, and now I think he does. He's taking these steps up, um, things like that. I think it's just something that might happen from time to time where he's the type of guy that wants to make a play, and when he wants to make a play, he starts looking to scramble. He looks to escape the pocket and try to do something like that. The thing in college is that his protection wasn't perfect in college either, even though his offensive mm-hmm. line won the offensive line of the year award. But I do think it probably was slightly better than he's had here so far in his career. I'm not saying just like the game or the past game, but so far in his career, it was probably better in college. His pocket presence in college was fantastic. It was one of his best traits, something I thought he might have been elite at in college. So 
and he's still making little movements. The game, if you really want to get excited about his pocket presence to watch, is the Baltimore game. Uh, I thought he did a fantastic job in that one, never running into pressure, always just making slight movements and escaping when he needed to, within looking to escape things like. So when you're looking for um, slight movements, you're looking for stepping up, stepping left, stepping right. Tom Brady, if you ever watch him, James will be excited about that. But he's probably the best ever at moving inside the pocket, just little movements to yeah, subtle. All all those all, all those offensive linemen. And part of it was that Dante Scarnecchia was there, but the reason they failed when they left is because the quarterback that was now trying to throw the ball was uh, a Daniel Jones rather than a Tom Brady. And he can't feel that pressure coming and just take a little step up and make you look better than you really are. So I think Burrow's going to be fine when it comes to pocket presence. I think it's a little, the pressure got a little bit to his head this game and it's just something over time. It's something that ages a little bit like a fine wine there, because this is something as he gets older, he's going to go, well, every t- when I try to escape and there's no place to escape, I end up taking hits. So what if I just take a little step right and throw there and learn from taking these sacks? Um, I expect him to be fine in his pocket presence. Uh, I know that this is all about what he could do better, but really what he could do better is feeling the pressure and making small adjustments to it. And I think, again, every reason to believe this will happen eventually. The couple of trends you would like to see change is this company in, we talked about the play action back to line of scrimmage, has one of the highest sack percentage in play action passes. He, it's not good company, like rookies and other quarterbacks that you generally don't think are very good. The other thing you want to see change is something that we saw a glimpse of in the middle of the season when he got really good at this after it wasn't so good early in the year is the amount of pressures that turn into sacks. Burrow now second in the NFL at highest rate of pressures turning into sacks. And this isn't all on Burrow because some of this is, you know, protection bust, but 27.3% of his pressures turn into sacks. That's only better than Justin Fields in the same ballpark as Baker Mayfield, Ben Roethlisberger, Zach Wilson, not company you want to keep. But at the same time, you do see these, these flashes of really promising pocket movement from Burrow. And it's something like you said, Mike, that I think, We'll just get better over time. We're going to shift gears coming up next and talk 49ers as we start to shift our attention to the Bengals' next opponent as they try to stay in the playoff race. The Bengals need to recover quick, and when you need to recover quick, you need the best protein bar on the planet, Built Bar. They're covered in 100% chocolate. They're high in protein. They're low in sugar. They're low in calories. So, yeah, that's exactly what you want post-workout. I had my daily Built Bar earlier today, and – you need to get on them as well if you haven't yet. And I know a lot of our listeners have, so thank you. Hopefully you're enjoying uh, the Built Bar life. But if you're curious about it or if you're looking to recover like the Bengals after that ugly loss to the Chargers, check them out right now at Built.com. Check out all the delicious flavors they have and plenty of limited edition flavors right now for the holiday season. And you're going to save money. You go to built.com, use promo code LOCK15, you're going to get 15% off right now. It's that simple. Built.com, add a bunch of stuff to your cart, and when you check out, use LOCKED15 for 15% off. Again, built.com, promo code LOCKED15. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The only thing we like more on the Locked On Bengals podcast and Bengals wins and our listeners and talking about the Bengals is saving you money on things that hopefully you're going to buy anyway. If you need a protein bar, do what James told you to do. Mike, let's talk San Francisco 49ers offense. This is a run game that presents a lot of the same challenges that the Browns run game does. They've got a Trent Williams at left tackle who is nearly perfect in run blocking this year is playing at a level at 33 years old that I did not think he would still have in the tank. James and I had conversations about Trent Williams when he was somewhat available before the 49ers scooped him up from the Washington football team. They've also got a guy named George Kittle who does things that very few tight ends can do in the receiving game in the NFL while being one of the premier run blocking tight ends in the NFL. They might be a little bit hamstrung by having like six different running backs that are going to be unavailable this week. But it seems like Kyle Shanahan has had the Bengals number for a while. Since he's been in San Francisco, the Bengals have had a hard time with the San Francisco rushing attack. They've also had a hard time, obviously, with the Browns rushing attack and quite a lot of overlap there. There are some holes in the 49ers, I think, with Debo Samuel's questionable availability and Jimmy Garoppolo's inconsistency at quarterback. But when we talk about big challenges schematically that the Bengals are going to have to overcome this week without Logan Wilson, potentially without Chidobe Awuzie, what are the top of mind concerns, Mike, when we look ahead? Yeah, it's something that you mentioned. It's that this 49ers run game is really similar to the Browns run game in that they'll run a power encounter. They're they're not just a team that majors in. Uh, we run wide zone, so if you get into a good front and you can stop that, then I guess our run game's done. They'll run everything under the sun. <laughs> and if they bring in Trey Lance, they'll literally run everything under the sun because they'll start running some of the Ravens and stuff sometimes. So they have to be prepared for this diverse running attack and. Yeah, you mentioned Trent Williams. I mean, one of the guys I think is really underrated on that team is their left guard, Lakin Tomlinson. I don't know anything uh, stat-wise about it, but whenever I watch him, I go, oh, he's a good player. Like <laughs> That's a guy I really want on the goals. Uh, although I love Quentin Spain. But, uh, so think of the 49ers lining up, and their left side is George Kittle at, at tight end, Trent Williams. Williams at left tackle and Ken Tomlinson, who I think is really good at left guard. And that's just disgusting to try to stop. And that's actually where, because the Bengals always line Trey Hendrickson on the left side of the offense. So that looks like a, it's a mismatch. Just being honest, I think Trey, the world of Trey Hendrickson as a pass rusher, when it comes to run defense, that's, that's an area that he's just not stout in. Um, I think he's fine, but when you're facing a Trent Williams, a Lakin Thompson, a George Kittle, all three of those guys, that's something that could be exploited. So you're looking at both the scheme, because the Bengals always try to box this stuff. Um, you could go back to our Browns game review, and we went over box and counter, but they always try to force it to the inside, which means almost everybody has to be right on how they defend this. And So Hendrickson can't get blown off the ball back into the linebackers. And when you're facing a double team, that's George Kittle and Trent Williams, that's difficult. And uh, then you need Pratt or whoever, or somebody to take on the pulling guard or 
fullback Juszczyk, another guy that's really good. So everybody that they have is like so good in the run game um, that really the way to beat them in my mind is to just get a few touchdowns early, kind of like the Chargers did, and then try to force Jimmy Garoppolo to throw deep downfield and try try to make the run game mute. But yeah, they'll they'll have their hands full with this run game. I do think McGlinchey has been out for the year. I think uh, he's on IR and yeah. their right guard, I think centered. No, Alex Max at center. Uh, so their right guard has been a bit of an issue. It was last year at least. All right. So with that said, I mean, that that's scary. I know you wrote something for all Bengals about that. What should they do to adjust? Can they adjust? Are they just going to go into it that way? Cause to me, I, do you just put Hubbard over there and try that? Do you put an extra body? How do you kind of counteract that? Or do you expect the Bengals to just go in and, and try to hope that Hendrickson wins more than he loses against that, that matchup? I actually do expect them to just hope that oh, Hendrickson wins. That's awful. Mike. I, <laughs> I, I mean, it's possible he does just, man, Trent Williams might be the best tackle in football. And yeah. specifically I don't know if it's at, <laughs> at run blocking. So it's, I, I haven't seen them move Hubbard to try to take on the strength of like a team's offensive line. They didn't do it last week with Slater, although Slater I think is better in pass protection. And that's where Hendrickson excelled and he got his awesome sack against Slater. But um, they haven't, in my mind, they haven't faced a tackle like Trent Williams yet. And uh, I'm hoping that they try to run to the right a little bit more. And I hope that Hendrickson has the game of his life on defense. Uh, really, I mean, he just he needs to hold his ground is about it i just don't want to see him get taken back off of the ball and i think trent williams is awesome i would love to see 35 pass sets from trent williams with hendrickson trying to rush because i think that could be fun uh to see if he can get a win on one of the best tackles in the league he just did last week so that could be fun so really in my mind it's like get up early please because i don't want to see the 49ers try to run the ball 40 times 30 they don't the Patriots game plan from uh, Monday Night Football. I, I don't want to see that. I want to see them try to air the ball out with uh, Garoppolo. Game script game. Another game script game. Two weeks in a row, and and some similar similar trends for the Bengals for different reasons. To be fair, I'm not sure that the the defensive challenges that the 49ers face are necessarily the same as the defensive challenges that the that the Chargers presented to the Bengals, but certainly something that we're going to talk about. We're going to cross over with the 49ers podcast in, in the coming days as, as we get to, to previewing that game. But if it's not for the offense's sake this time and wanting to get Joe Mixon going against the worst rushing defense in the NFL, the Bengals clearly failed at that job against the Chargers. It's for the defense's sake. And for Trey Hendrickson's sake, because behind Trey Hendrickson, your other options are like Wyatt Ray, Khaled Kareem, and Cam Sample. And frankly, none of those four guys are guys that you like in the matchup with a guy like Trent Williams. I mean, the, the, the man is an animal. He, he's burying guys every single week with athleticism that as a 30-year-old man who plays left tackle, 33-year-old man who plays left tackle in the NFL, like shouldn't be possible, but. He does it consistently every week. He does. You're right. I mean, he's he's a freak. He's a freakazoid. <laughs> I I uh, I'm surprised he's been as good as he's been since that trade. I thought he was going to be really good, but like I, I think it's because he took that couple of years off, Jake, 
mm-hmm. from Washington. And it's it's almost like he's a young 33 athletic wise, and he didn't have all those bumps and bruises that, that you take playing uh, offensive line. But uh, yeah, I, I don't feel uh, I don't envy Trey Hendrickson going into Sunday. I put it that way. One to watch and one to honestly is like one of the more more intimidating matchups, let's say that the Bengals defense has faced this year. We'll talk more about it later this week. That's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. A little film review, a little look ahead at the challenges we're going to see from the 49ers. We'll talk with Brian Peacock from Locked On 49ers, presumably, for our crossover coming your way very soon this week. Until then, Bengals fans, for Mike Bengals, San Santagata, and James Rapine, I'm Jake Lisko. Thanks for listening. Hootay. And have a good one. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.